good morning. If you have a Bible this morning, I want you to take it and open it up to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 4 through 7. If you joined us last week, we began a brand new series called I'm Anxious. And today we're going to be taking the next step and talking about that and getting a little bit more in depth and in detail on what it means to, to go through that. I realize that when you begin to do a, a series on anxiety that there are a couple of other words that begin to come into form. You begin to think about worry. You begin to think about depression, fear, doubt, unbelief, and everything that comes with it. So as we go to week number two in this series, it's from that mindset that if you were here in any way, shape, or form dealing with anxiety, and last week we were very specific. We talked about, man, you're, you're losing sleep over issues in your life. You're worried about your children, whatever the case may be. If there's any form of that in your life, our goal in this series is to point you to Jesus. I have a phrase that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me, and it's simply this, Jesus fixes everything. Matter of fact, can we say that together? Say, Jesus fixes everything. One more time louder. Jesus fixes everything. If you ever got an issue in your life, listen to me, Jesus can fix it. If Jesus can't fix it, then your problem cannot be fixed. It's impossible. Um, so we, we believe that to be true. So we're going to go and kind of journey through that together. I think we need to make note that in life, and even in this moment, even in this time, that there are things that we can do when we come to church that would cause people to believe that there's nothing going wrong in our lives. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to slip into a service or to go to work or to be in the community and to be able to hide the issues and the things that are going on in your life and no one even have a clue. I find it could be pretty easy to do in church because we could show up and we can smile and we can sing and we can lift our hands. But many times the battles that we're facing are battles that nobody else can see because it's going on up in here. And so we're battling. And so it's from that context and it's from this idea of I'm anxious that last week we, we drew on a pretty big truth. And this is really the big truth of the whole series. We have this week and two more weeks but the big truth that we're rallying around when it comes to anxiety is this, is that your anxiety is an opportunity to draw closer to God. And that stems from that whole idea of Jesus fixing anything. Anxiety, depression, worry, fear, whatever it is, whatever problem you're facing, is actually an opportunity for you to draw closer to God. So let's go to Philippians chapter 4 and see where we got that. Here's what the Bible says. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Can you just say rejoice with me real quick? Rejoice. Okay, who's writing this? A guy by the name of the Apostle Paul is writing this. When he wrote this, he's writing to the church in Philippi, and here's what's going on. He went to Rome because he wanted to preach the gospel. Because he knew if he went to Rome and preached the gospel, the word would spread to the nations quicker because Rome was the central hub. But upon arriving to Rome, the problem is, is he gets thrown into prison 24 hours, chained up to a guard, and he has no idea what's going to take place. He doesn't know when he's getting out. He might not know where his next meal is coming from. And if anybody could have had anxiety or worry or depression... It was the Apostle Paul. So we stop right here and we see, wow, the very first thing he says, rejoice, which leads us to believe when you have a hard time going on in your life, is that your first emotion, right? Anybody like, uh, yeah, yeah, everything falls apart. Yeah, thank you, God. 
right? Not too many people I know do that. Sometimes they do it under their breath, but they're not really joyful about it. So when hard times come, it's not like we're like, whoo, write that down. Remember this day. Better post this on my Facebook real quick because a year from now, it's coming up in the memory feed. (laughs) Who does that? But the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 rejoice. Then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Then he said this, the Lord is near. Okay, so when anxiety comes, anxiety, depression, fear, doubt, is an opportunity to draw closer to God. And when you do, you find out he's actually near. You're not in it alone. So then he carries on. Then he carries on. Do not be anxious. Notice it says do not. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Then it goes on in verse seven, and the peace of God, say peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you're taking notes today, I wanna speak to you specifically on the subject of this. If you wanna write this down or type type this in. When in pain, pray. Would you just look at your neighbor real quick and say, when in pain, pray. I'm going to get you guys talking this morning. When in pain, you need to begin to pray. Okay, so let's answer the question, okay? Because we didn't answer it last week. Some of you may have noticed that. We talked about anxiety, and we didn't really give it a definition, okay? So here's the question. What is anxiety? Here's my answer. It's complicated. It's very complicated. Have you noticed that? Because anxiety could be psychological, could be emotional, it could be situational. Anxiety can come in many forms, many different ways. But here's the thing, I would argue to say this to be true, that I believe anxiety is always a spiritual issue. I want that to sink in for a moment. If I am created in the image of Christ, I have a fleshly body, but upon leaving this earth, my spirit, is going to heaven or it's going to that other place. I'm a spirit being. So I do believe that anxiety comes and forms, but at the core and at the root of it all, it's a very, very spiritual issue. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna really approach this from what we call a holistic approach, meaning any time that I have any type of anxiety, fear, doubt, or depression, my very first step is going to be prayer, because prayer is a spiritual thing. Therefore, to attack, to go upon, to try to figure out, I must pray to God with my anxiety. Now, here's the thing. We may also seek professional help. For some of us, we may go see a doctor. We may go to professional care. Not against any of that. Some of us may go to counseling. I opened up last week and said, that's a step that I'm taking personally in dealing with the anxiety that I have. I'm seeing a counselor, and I just wanna say thank you so much for coming back this week, because some, <laughs> some of you heard that, and you're like, dear Lord, my pastor's, he's, he's seeing a counselor? Man, I'm out of this church, no way. So, but you're still here, so thank you so much for coming. It's really, really nice. But today, we're, we're really tackling this from a, a very, very spiritual issue, okay? So, what's the question? The question is, is what is anxiety? So let me explain it to you this way. How many of you guys drive vehicles? Show of hands, show of hands. Mostly everybody in here, okay, okay. How many of you guys remember your very first car? Anybody remember your first car? Okay, did your very first car run very good? 
Yeah, okay. Some of you, yes. Some of you, not. Were you the type of person when you looked at your first car compared to your friend's first car that you were really jealous of what their first car was compared to what yours was? Yeah, any Ford Pinto owners from the get-go? Anybody? Anybody? Man, those things rock, man. I'd, I'd rock a Ford Pinto. Well, technically, I wouldn't rock a Ford because they're found on road dead or fixed or repaired daily. But um, some of you NASCAR friends will get that. Um, first car. Okay, now for most of us, um, if it was an older car, you, you didn't have one of these. But for newer cars, has anybody ever seen uh, in some cars it's going to be orange and in some cars it's going to be red, but it's a little light that goes on and it tells you, check engine. You ever see that before? Some of you started getting anxiety right now at just the thought of that. Have you noticed that that usually comes up at the most, like, least opportune time in your life, right? Um, I fall under this category, Vanessa and I do. We usually go get our oil checks, and for whatever reason, that light goes on the very next day. And I'm like, what in the world, man? Mechanics are out to get us, right? If you're a mechanic in here, I apologize. I'm not throwing shade, kind of, (laughs) kind of. It's just, I don't, like, what, you want more money? Okay, fine, I'll take it back, but... Here's the deal. That check engine light, man, for some of us can just ruin our day, specifically when it happens at the beginning of our day. But for the most part, most people do not like seeing that sign because it means I'm going to be spending possibly a lot of money. They're going to charge me just to check it out, by the way. Then they're going to do everything else. And that just means flat out anxiety 101. All right. Here's the thing. And this isn't a trick question, by the way. Is the check engine light the problem? Not a trick question. No. The check engine light is an alert or it's an indicator that there's a problem with your vehicle. That's what the check engine light is telling you. The light itself, although we don't like looking at it, not the problem. The problem is battery, alternator, belts, air pressure, whatever the case may be. It's signaling and it's an alert that you have an issue going on and you would be wise to take it in as soon as you can to get it checked out because if you don't, something else is going to break and something else is going to break. I know people who've had check engine lights on for 10 years and that's going to break and that's going to break and they're like, man, why is this all happening? I'll tell you why, because the light went on and you didn't take it in. All right, so it's from that. What is anxiety? Point number one, anxiety is an alert to pray. It's an alert. When anxiety comes into your life, just like that check engine light, you have to get to a place where you begin to go, okay, it's time to pray. Let's back up and let's look at the car. If the check engine light goes off, who are we taking it to? taking it to a mechanic, or we're taking it to the manufacturer. Why? Because they built it so they can discover what's wrong with it, and then they can fix it. On a car, it works that way. Look at me very close. In your life, with anxiety, there is a manufacturer, there is a God, and he created you. So when anxiety comes, it's an alert to begin to pray. And what you do when you're doing that is you're saying, hey, God, you created me. You're my creator. You're my manufacturer. I need you right now. I've got something going on. Anxiety is an alert to begin to pray. Craig Rochelle said this, and I think it's really good. It's worth writing down. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If you've got a worry in your life right now that's big, 
it's worth praying about. Let me say it a different way, okay? If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. If it's on your mind, if you're thinking about it, he cares about every detail of your life. So if it's on your mind, it's on his heart. So if you're worried about an upcoming doctor's appointment, what do you do? It's an alert. You pray about it. If you're worried about your kids, it's an alert. What do you do? You pray about it. If you're a parent who has a kid who's going in to junior high or to high school and you have to buy a scientific calculator and it costs as much as a used Honda Civic, you need to begin to pray about it. Number one, who makes those? Number two, who came up with the price point on that? Hi, Mom, Dad, I need a scientific calendar for school. (laughs) There's the answer in the shepherd household right there. Like, your mama is a scientific calendar. <laughs> any, any, any worry, anything on your mind, it's on God's heart. And what do you do? You, you just, you pray about it. But here's what I've noticed as a pastor, okay? Respectfully. Maybe not even you, maybe some. But this is what I've noticed. I'm going, Timmy asked me yesterday, he's like, hey, you're like in your 18th year of being a pastor. I'm like, yeah, I, I am. And in 18 years, I could honestly say this respectfully. Some people just don't know how to pray. Have you noticed that? Think about this, reading the Bible, prayer, going to church, spiritual disciplines that all of us need to have and work on and cultivate. And I've talked with so many people throughout the year, and they just go, Pastor, I, I really don't know how to pray. Like, how do I do this? Like, for instance, like, when I go to pray, do I say, God, uh, Father, uh, Daddy, uh, big guy up in the sky? Like, how do I start an actual prayer time with God? They, they don't know how to approach it. So then it starts to go on and say, okay, well, how do I start the prayer? And then maybe they start thinking, okay, well, well how do I end the prayer? Do I say in Jesus' name? Do I say uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Um, do I have to pray in King James language? We call that the King Jimmy. Dearest thou is Lordeth, I cometh to you with, Today, I mean, do I, do I got to pray that way? I know I'm being silly, but I'm telling you, these have literally been conversations I've had with people. And it's out of the sincerity of their heart. Like, it's not a bad thing. If you've questioned, how do I pray? Listen, you're in great company. Because most of us, when we first got saved, it's not like we got saved and we had a really good prayer language right out the bat. Let me ask you this. You ever been around a prayer ninja? Does anybody know what a prayer ninja is? Okay, I'll describe it to you. A prayer ninja is when they pray, the heavens come down and flood the place that we're in. They pray and power comes into the room. They pray and they pray so good that everyone in the circle holding hands looks up and looks at them and goes, man, that person can pray. That's what I call a prayer ninja, right? So then what happens is, is we go, okay, well, man, if I can't pray that good, surely God's not hearing my prayers. I gotta learn to pray like them. So then we start kind of copying them. And, 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 and the reality is, at the end of the day, we're just like, I really just have no idea how to pray. Let's just be honest. Who's ever been there before? Show of hands. I just don't know how to pray. Man, you guys are a great, honest group of bunch. Even Pastor Triggs in the back, the legend's like, yep, yep, been there. We've all been there. Here's the thing. What does the Bible say about it, right? If Jesus fixes anything or everything, and if we want to succeed in life, read the Bible, do what it says, What does the Bible say about how to pray? Well, Jesus gave an example to his disciples. Gives a great template, a great layout, and I think it's good. 
but there's something that happens behind it that's actually very, very simple. Look, look, look at the next scripture, okay? Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, prayer and petition. That's why I believe prayer is the first step in anxiety. It says right there, okay? Look at the next part. With thanksgiving, and then it says this. Present your request to God. Okay, so I'm going to do what pastors are trained to do. I'm going to take the last thing. It says present your request to God. I'm going to break it down in the Hebrew, and I'm going to break it down in the Greek. Okay, are you ready for this? I'm going to start teaching right here. This is a teaching moment. I want you to write this down, okay? This is what this passage of Scripture is meaning. This is very, very deeply spiritual, and I want you to write this down. Ready? Hebrew, Greek, Jesus, God. This is what it means. Let your request be known. That's pretty deep, wasn't it? <laughs> now, please don't. Some of you are looking at me like, wait, are you being serious right now? Mm-hmm. Some of you are saying, hey, I wanted that whole Hebrew-Greek thing, man. What's up with that? Listen, Paul is saying it's very simple. Let your request be known. What do you need? Okay, I got two boys. I'll, I'll explain it this way. I got two boys who both have two different ways of telling me and their mom what they want. Okay, some of you have kids. You know this to be true. It's always different. Okay, MJ is passive. So um, I'd be sitting on the couch and I would be eating some type of dessert or something really good that he really wanted. So MJ would come and he would sit on the couch when he was a little boy, a little bit younger, starting to talk and doing good. And he wouldn't say, hey, dad, I would love to have some of whatever it is, fill in the blank, okay? Uh, little Debbie Swiss cake rolls, if you're really wanting to know, the whole box. <laughs> With a glass of whole milk and a glass mug. And I repeat, whole milk. So I'd be sitting there. It's my cheat day. The fifth one of the week. Of the night. And I would be eating those, watching sports, whatever the case may be. And this would be MJ. Sure wish I had some Swiss cake rolls. <laughs> Just like that. Every time. Listen, I could be eating anything else, or I could be doing something. He'd go, sure wish I could do that all the time. So I let it go on for a couple months, and I wouldn't say anything. I'm like, dear Lord, just say it, kid. What do you want? And he wouldn't do it because he's so mellow, and he's so, you know, so he would just go, sure, sure wish I did. And so finally, I go, hey, MJ. I go, if you want anything in life, you got to ask. And he kind of looked at me puzzled, like, what do you even mean by that, Dad? So I'm like, MJ, do, do you want a Swiss cake roll? Well, yeah, Dad. Okay, ask me for a Swiss cake roll. Dad, may I have a uh, Swiss cake roll? Yes, son, you may. And I would give it to him. But he was passive about it. Now, Jacob, on the other hand, <laughs> okay, if you were with us last week, we have a new nickname for Jacob, okay? Jacob went from the albino terrorist, and if you're here for the first time, listen to me. He's very pale white. He's my son. I can make fun of him all I want. Don't you dare do it. And so um, um, he's very white, and he's a toad head, but man, he is, he is a ball full of energy. And so, so he's gone from the albino terrorist to now what we call as the albino rhino, <laughs> Because he just plows his way through everything, right? So he's not like, hey, sure wish I had a Swiss cake roll. He's like, Dad, uh, I went into the fridge and got me a couple Swiss cake rolls already. I know we haven't had dinner yet, but I figured it'd be okay. It's like, what do you do with that, you know? 
So he's not even asking, right? We say this all the time, man. It's his world. We're just trying to survive in this thing. I mean, he is, he's seven years old. I mean, he's going to be a leader for sure. Like he's, he's that kid. But he's just like, his idea of, of asking is, is kind of like, you know, um, what is it? Do it, or, uh, do it now and then ask for forgiveness later or something along that lines. That's Jake. Yeah, he, he's got it. He, he's going to ask for forgiveness afterwards. So, so he has a different way. And here's, the, here's what I'm trying to get at. There's different ways. People are different. Think of people in your life, right? People have it two different ways of letting their requests be made known. But, but here's what it comes down to. That's their, their way of doing it. Now, from that premise, let me tell you what would break my heart as a dad. A lot of things would, but as a dad. What would break my heart is if my kids had a need in their lives, even right now or even as they get older, if they had a need in their life and they didn't tell me about it or Vanessa about it. As they get up and, and maybe they, well, not maybe, they're going to college whether they want to or not. And they, they go to college and I find out that for whatever reason they were a knucklehead and they spent their money on other stuff and they didn't have a meal. And I found out that they were missing meals because they already, and they didn't tell me that. I would be devastated. Okay? Now, it's from that premise that we understand this. How much more so your Father in heaven who has crafted and made you, how much more so will he do for you if you would just simply ask? But yet, we don't make our requests known. You say, well, well, God already knows it. He's God. That's an easy way out. There's something powerful with our words and with our mouth. And Paul is saying, look, here, here's the deal. You, you got to request this thing. You have to begin to ask. So it leads me to believe that everyone here is wired a little bit different. So here's, here's been my answer to people throughout the years. When you're asking of God, for some people, you're writers. So why don't you write it down? For some of you, and I thank God for you because I'm not one of them, sing your request to the Lord. Man, man some, listen, some of you, if you have to, just sigh. God, God understands that. You ever know that? Man, for some of you, shout with joy. Notice that word said, with thanksgiving. It's a joyful thing. I know many of you are thinking about Thanksgiving and who you have to see, and it's kind of a downer, but hey, let's turn that frown upside down. With Thanksgiving, man, I sing to God. I'm joyful about it. Even more sometimes, man, sometimes it's shouting to God in anger sometimes. God's a big boy. He can handle it. Sorry if I called you boy. I don't know if that's right. God can handle that. But in our silence, you know, I know this is going to sound counterintuitive, but sometimes your silence screams a whole lot louder than you give credit for. And I know that might go way would. Yeah, your silence screams. It screams nothing. It screams nothing is changing because you're not asking. You might be hearing you're saying, no, no, no. I, I, listen, pastor, I've been asking. God, why am I experiencing this? And you're asking, and you're asking, and you're asking you're not listening you're not looking we talked about this last week 
Is God in the fire? No, he wasn't in the fire. Was he in the earthquake? Nope, not in the earthquake. Was he in the craziness? Nope, not in the craziness. The Bible declared he was in the whisper because he's close. And when he's close, you have to, you have to listen. So, so what is anxiety? It's an opportunity, but it's an alert. It's a signal that it's time to pray. Okay, so what do I do then? Okay, so if I'm praying, how do I, how do I pray this? Point number two is simply this, is you begin to pray in humility. So, so Paul is locked up. He's in a prison, and he begins to say rejoice and then begin to pray. Peter offers some words that I think are important as well. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up, watch here, in due time. I'm going to pause. That's the hard part. And that's where many people find themselves. God, I've been praying. I've been praying, God, I've got sickness in my body. And God, your word says that if I would pray and if I would believe and if I would ask others to pray along with me, God, that, that I, would be, I would be healed. But God, my body is still sick. I'm still hurting. I don't know what to do. And sometimes, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't even understand why it's not instant and why healing doesn't come. I'm right in that same boat with many, many people. But I do have a truth, and I believe that God is good and that he hears. And I've come to learn that what I view as healing, God might view a little bit differently, but his ways are always higher than my ways. My thoughts are not his thoughts. So I would have to believe there is a reason and there is a purpose, although it might hurt that we draw closer to God with all of that anxiety, with all of that doubt, with all of that fear, and we say, okay, God, in humility, under your mighty hand, you're gonna lift me up. And then he says this, but it's gonna be in due time. Then he says, verse seven, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God cares. He cares for everything you're going through. Every detail of your life, God cares. If it's on your mind, it's in his heart. You can know that God cares. Be alert and have sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So this passage of scripture, for me, over the past oh, five months, Although not perfect, although still working through my issues of anxiety, it has been this one scripture that has catapulted and helped me. I mentioned last week, as, as Timmy would come, I mentioned last week that I started to see a counselor for some of the anxiety and some of the things that I was facing. I believe this is a powerful truth, but it's wise to learn from the wise. You hear that? It's wise to learn from the wise. So I took it to God first because that's our first approach. Anxiety, depression is an indicator. It's a light that says, okay, I've got to go to God. And so I went to God and then I took a next step and I said, I need to talk with someone who can help me. 
So that's what I did. I went to a counselor. Now, to give you a, a, a rough idea, many of you guys know, is for me, this is actually, and this is what I haven't shared, this has been a three-year three journey that I have been walking through, that my wife and I have been walking through, that even at times my kids have been walking through unadvertedly, because it's been a difficult three years. Now, here's the thing. My story is not any harder than anybody else's. It's just different because we've all got things that we're going through. Look at your neighbor say, you got stuff. Look at your other neighbor say, you got stuff. And here's the reality. We all got stuff. Amen. Am I the only one? Like, okay, so we can admit we got stuff. Okay, so three years ago, three years ago, I get really sick. 80-hour plus work weeks, part of a church plant. Visalia, California is really hot in the natural. I got overexhausted. I ran myself hard. I did not say no, and it was difficult. I laid on my couch for two weeks sick. You can ask Vanessa. Just utterly exhausted. In that time, we came to the realization through the Lord and through the council and then through the talk of our senior pastor at the time that although ministry was going well and the church was growing, it was a rapid church growth in three years. I mean, it was a, it was a move of God. But he had a feeling and, and we had a feeling that our time in Visalia was done. And let me just tell you, it caught us off guard. And so it's at that time that I went from being sick for two weeks to... Um, realizing that our time of Visalia was done and only hearing the Lord say, don't call anybody, take a couple months off. So that's what I did. We took a couple months off. We went to Shaver to pray and fast after two months and a conversation began to take place and a text message later and all of a sudden we don't know what our next step is, but there might be a door. So we're just praying about it. And then as many of you guys know, it's in that time I actually started working for Canyon Hills. We're six campuses wide. Our main campus is in Bakersfield. And I started helping out with media and design and websites. And in that time, they had me go out and speak at some of the different campuses. Little did we know they're kind of scouting us out a little bit to see if this guy can get up on a stage and preach. And uh, so we started doing that. And I, I was going to Bakersfield. Vanessa was in Visalia. So Monday through Friday, I would work from Bakersfield. The boys were in school. They'd come out on the weekends. We'd stay at a family's house. We would do church together. They would go back home. I would stay and work. At that time, uh, my, my younger brother passed away from a drug overdose. And we took some time, and I went to go be with my mom. And we, as a family, began to work through that. He was 33 years old. It was uh, obviously not a great situation. And so that was there. So I've gone from transition to being done to I think I'm working somewhere to this right here. And I took about a month off. And then all of a sudden, kind of got back in the flow of things a little bit. And the opportunity to come out here and to be a part of this church uh, presented itself, not in the form of being on staff. They said, hey, would you just go out and would you just, you know, be a part and help and serve? And so as many of you remember, they had a big old trailer outside and we lived in that. It was nice though. Thank the Lord for that. It smelled good. Whew, thank the Lord. And so literally, like we, literally, my wife stayed in Visalia and we, I came out here and it was the same deal. She'd come out on the weekends, but I'd be here and all of a sudden God started stirring our heart a little bit and I was like man I really feel this is where God wants us to be and then next thing I know Vanessa goes to some women's conference in Vegas which hello going to Vegas and uh, see all you ladies are crazy you party in Vegas and then call it a conference so um, anyways it was a church conference it's all good uh, don't you have to worry about anything and 
a, a lady that Vanessa didn't even know approached her and had a word from the Lord for her. And it simply was, why can't you be with your husband? Because we were afraid we needed to keep the boys in school. We don't really know what's going on. And what if we're not called to be in San Luis Obispo? So we're battling this. Do, do we come? And, and this lady got, so next thing I know, she comes home and she's like, hey, the car's packed. I'm on my way. And I'm like, well, well babe, we, we only have a trailer, you know? Like, so she literally, literally put it all together, made it look like a home. And over the course of time, and I'm going somewhere with this, over the course of time, we begin to serve here, not in any form of pastoral capacity, just begin to help. So think about this. I'm, I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I want to provide for my family. So I'm trying to make all this different stuff work. And you know what? Some things took place. And some people liked it and some people didn't. And here's the mistake I made. I internalized all of that. Very hard. People that I didn't even know, they didn't know me. Took shots at me. And that's okay. Like, that's all right. I don't think, you know, sometimes in life we handle things right and sometimes we handle, and sometimes we're just trying to find our way through it. But I made, a, I made a huge mistake. I internalized it and I took it personal. And, and I didn't talk to anybody about it. I didn't, I didn't. And so I thought, well, man, maybe they don't like me. And then maybe they don't like my wife. And man, it was tough. Now again, now again, no, no hard feelings towards anybody. And I love people. Man, life's too short to hold, hold bitterness. Have you noticed that? Or a grudge? You ever notice that when you carry a grudge, it's actually more of a cancer to you than it is to them? I learned a long time ago, half the grudges I hold, those people aren't even thinking about me. But I'm thinking about them. Why am I doing that? That's silly. But man, I took it really hard. And I never shared this publicly. This is my first time ever sharing this. And so I'm a people pleaser and I love people. And it's really hard for me to say no. So man, I internalized that. So then all of a sudden though, we feel called here. We get installed as the pastors and now I'm pastoring a church. And again, we've all got stuff, but man, that's, that's whew, it's got pastor church in the midst of, and then all of a sudden, as many of you guys know, Vanessa's brother, brother-in-law, he passes away very young. My mentor, a day before we're having the service for my brother-in-law, Vanessa's brother, commits suicide. And it's just been one thing after another thing, after another thing, after another thing. And here's the, here's the problem I made. I didn't deal with my anxiety. I didn't deal with it. I just kept it all in. And it became difficult and it became hard. And so what began to take place is I had to begin to pray a prayer. Because I tried to just, well, man, I'm just going to work this thing. I just figure it out. Just full steam ahead. Jacob thinks he's the albino rhino. Man, I've got something in store for him. I got this. I'm just going to work harder, work longer. I'm going to smile when I don't feel like it. No one's going to know. But here's what I've learned. That doesn't work. But prayer does. And I listen. I prayed before, but it was like, man, I sure hope this changes. And that was it. 
So about five months ago, this is how long this series has been in the works. About five months ago, I listened to a series from a gentleman that I admire on anxiety. And as I listened to episode number one, I was painting our bathroom at the house. I was painting it and I just began to weep because everything this man was saying was what I was feeling. And so he got done with the episode number one and I was like, so I went on to episode number two and I finished that when all of a sudden joy started to come into my heart, into my spirit. And all of a sudden my countenance began to change. I was like, man, I need more. So then I went to, to week number three. It was all said and done in a two hour stretch. I finished the whole series as I was painting that bathroom. But he said something in week number two and it was a game changer for me. He said this, if you're facing anxiety, doubt, fear, and depression, all you simply need to do is pray. And I thought, how simple is that? And I'm here today to tell you that the answer to what you're going through is prayer. And for some of us, though, we've got to get beyond the five minutes in the morning. And we've got to devote time throughout our day to simply get away and pray. So I get up in the morning, I go to the gym, I sit in the parking lot, I pray for 15 to 20 minutes. During the day in the office, I pray. I go for prayer drives. And I'm telling you, I started to devote myself to more times of prayer. And here's what I discovered. More time in prayer produced so much more than what I think I could do with my strong willingness to just plow through it. I just begin to pray. Let me, let me put it to you this way. You can write this down, okay? Rather than trying to produce our way through anxiety, we need to pray our way through it. You gotta pray. Maybe last point and then we'll close. It's what I call the cycle of anxiety. Number three is this. You have to understand that you can't always control, but you could always surrender. There's going to be a cycle of anxiety, okay? The end of our opening scripture says that the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom he can destroy, right? So here's the cycle of anxiety. Anxiety comes. It's an alert. I've got to pray. I've got to humble myself. I've got to tell God that I can't do without him. Therefore, I pray. And then I begin to move forward. The anxiety is going to try to come back because the enemy is going to try to steal what God's doing in my life and he's going to try to bring anxiety back on. So in that moment, I have to understand that I can't always control, but I could always surrender. Surrender to what? To God, to his word, to moments of prayer, to community with other people. That's what I surrender. 